Happy Black Friday, listeners and Michael and grown localites and growers and smokers and tokers and dabbers and hash heads and edible mouths. And I'm just, I'm going to do some, was it ASMMR? Um, how about that for it? How about that? <laughs> that was not helpful. That was, in, that was lull them into a sense of relaxation and then just flip the wake board. up. We're doing an episode. And that's what we were. This episode is we let's do a little backtracking. Uh, um, and so we are, uh, we were in New York City for this one. Kind of funny. We thought we were going to be in a studio because that was what was presented to us. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks, like a week and a half, two weeks out, they were uh, very strange. Um, uh, they were just like, oh, oh here, here's the t- to your shows. And me and you were like, we don't really do this live, mm-hmm. but okay. Yeah. And the room was tiny, but like, we don't, I mean, there's not a ton of growers in New York City that we know. Uh, we did very good doing live ones in Humboldt. In Humboldt, people love weed, so tons of people come out. New York City, you know, there's not a lot of growers. People love, don't get us wrong, they love weed. And yeah, when we got a, we got an episode coming out, we're revamping, like we said, get ready, motherfuckers. It's more fun, looser. Uh, more on location, less me and Mike in a Zoom room. In a Zoom, Zoom. I mean, we did start this in COVID. That's my favorite thing. Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, how long have you been doing the podcast? I was like, we recorded a bunch of live interviews and then COVID happened and then we went straight to Zoom. So that was fun. Yeah. So it's like we're for like a little shake up of the format. Um, we talked to so many dope growers. We're going to continue talking to dope growers. We're going to continue to go on location. We're trying to go all over the world this coming year a little bit. Um, we're dipping, we're doing more live shows with the laugh your hash offs because that seems to be really fun and it worked really well in Eugene. So fun. Uh, New York was really fun. We've got a great episode coming up soon, but this episode is dope too. We got, we, our buddy Duff came back in. He took, he drove in from from New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, hung out with us, and uh, gives a little update on his Netflix type documentary that he's working on. And we stopped in Mendo on the way on this trip, which was kind of fun to stop in with our buddy Hashavelli. He uh, he treated us some dope Mexican food in Willits. So good. California. So good it was, and Mike was like, you think it's pretty good? And I was like, yeah, dude. We're, this is a small town. Any small town in America. In the United States of America. You go to any small town. Like, what's the best restaurant? There'll be some weird local thing that they say. And then the Mexican restaurant. Those are the two best restaurants in any small town. And we got there. And it said we're hiring dual 
uh, language preferable. And I was like, this place is going to be dope. And it was dope. And we got to hear some some cool Mendo stories from our dude, Hashavelli from Real Deal Resin and Hot Dabs. Guys, check them out. They're great. Um, oh, y'all. MJ Biz is next week. Mm-hmm. So, Mike and I, if you're at MJ Biz, you need to come to our show November 30th. That's the Thursday at Wise Guys. Come to our show. Um, buy tickets. Come to the show at Wise Guys. Mike and I are going to be there. I'm going to make fun of MJ Biz the whole. I'm going to do my act. I'm going to make fun of it. But also, let you mofos know, during MJ Biz, Wednesday and Thursday, during the day, you can't smoke in that expo. But Yeah, you can't at all. You cannot. But we're going to help you guys out. So follow us on Instagram, Grown Local Pod. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Local Pod. Next week at MJ Biz, we're going we're gonna to smoke you guys out all day, all over at MJ Biz. If you don't follow us, you'll probably see us anyway. We're going to be pretty loud. But follow us for like for some some pop-ups. Uh, we got some be some collabs coming with some hash makers and some some companies week come to the show find us uh it's gonna be a good time you guys uh it was a great time uh we'll talk more about new york in the upcoming episode but this is a good duff um we got another laugh your hash off coming up we got two we're planning right now for december and january so get ready for those. If you guys, once again, grownlocalpod at gmail.com. If you have any tips or want us to come do a laugh your hash off, or you want us to perform your event or whatever this year, let us know. Or if you're interested in sponsorships, we're taking those too for this next year. And hit us up. Mike, you've been wonderful on this episode. You said it's been great. I uh Mike's just been rolling J's lately. Uh, he, learned, <laughs> he learned he got real snobby on the road. He's like, There's not good weed out here. And I'm like, Well, you don't grow it anymore, so you need to fix that. So we're fixing that. <laughs> and you need to bring your own because stop being rude to people because they are being very nice. So we're we're learning etiquette. We're we're learning road etiquette. I'm and I love Mike's your guys' weed out there. I love it. It's great, but I don't like it. It's really bad. And so just even the dry pull, just if these dry pulls on these joints I just rolled, it's like a fruity flavor explosion. And then it gets you incredibly psychedelically high instead of the tobacco high that a lot of joints on the road get you. But that's enough out of me. I'm a snob. I know it. I'm sorry. Stupid asshole. Just just appreciate different cultures and what they do. And it's like food and stuff, dude. And then we're educating them about better foods. You know, fucking we're going to get you grits. The next time you come to Portland, introduce the thing. Stupid. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for our buddy, Pat. Relax. Those beats mean you're now listening to the very real people in places that supply your high. This is Grown Local with Billy Wayne Davis and Mike McGowan. Marathon. The marathon. Yep, that's we are live and from Bedford Street here in, I don't know which exactly part of Brooklyn. It's like borderline 
like Greenpoint, Williamsburg, where Williamsburg, we're at. We are at the Old Man Hustle Brooklyn Comedy Club after the New York City Marathon, which is not a great day to do anything in New York City, you guys. <laughs> We've learned a, an important lesson, so... I mean, it's basically shut down streets out there. There's tons of cops just looking around, making sure that they uh, they have everything under control. But the streets are littered with all the little water cups that the runners drink while they're running by, which is just like, okay, cool. We're having fun out here. New York, you're doing stuff. Um, we are here with one of our favorite guests. I think you've been on the show more than anybody else at this point. So two times is the most for anybody. Well, now three the third. three. This is yeah. the third, so I think this is this is maybe where. John Casale a little bit more. Yeah, there's a couple of Humboldt growers. Yeah, yeah, but other than that, definitely one of our favorite return uh, interviewees. Well, you're still fighting fights that need to be fought. Oh yeah, and also the Eagles are playing right now, and I've got I'm interviewing two Eagles fans, and you guys, I've just up against a lot today. <laughs> It is. To be honest, I feel I feel a little bit uh, like I'm cheating on my team as I'm sitting here and people are cheering at in another room. Yeah. It is. Well, we're at an Eagles bar in Brooklyn, and uh, we we're supposed to do a live. This is live, but no one showed up. But they're all watching the game. I. It's, it was travel was a nightmare in in the city, and then now the Eagles are playing the Cowboys. I saw it earlier this week before I was getting ready to travel, and I was like. Oh, well, Sunday's going to be a nightmare. I so think, I think it took me as long to get here from South Jersey as it did for, for you guys from San Francisco. I Basically, yeah. yes, the yeah. same. We yeah. flew from San Francisco this morning and then landed in Newark, and then it took us a while to get across. Newark was like two hours to get into the city. Yeah. It was insane, but... Our guy was cool. He, he was cool as hell. Our driver I mean, was cool. When we first was like, oh, it's going to be a $60 Uber, we were like, oh, that's a lot. And then it was like, oh, we took up like two and a half hours of I your time. I felt bad yeah. about it by the end, where I was like, he didn't make that much money. Yo, I got an Uber home from the airport last one. Actually, when I was shooting the last last uh, filming session out in San Francisco, and what was it, $64, I think it was, something like that. So about $64. And I asked the guy, you know, because I seen he was frustrated. I'm like, what do you get from that? And he showed me, and he got $14. And he had driven me from the Philadelphia airport to New Jersey, and he had to go back across the bridge yeah. and pay the $5 bridge fee. So he made $9 yeah. for that uh, drive. So um, I don't know how the hell Uber gets away with that. <laughs> You're our Uber fucking people. It's it's Because I, I got fascinated probably eight, nine years ago, well, seven or eight, when I first moved to L.A., because Lyft was like becoming a thing, and I was like genuinely fascinated that you could flip on a thing and make money driving around your car. Mm -hmm. So I did it for like a week. I didn't need the money. I just got, I was like, oh. So I did it full time for a week. I'm a comedian. I, I don't have a real job, so I can fuck around and do experiments <laughs> like that. And just that first week, I realized like, oh, this is good for the consumer and, and the company. The people doing the work, it's the wear and tear in your car is a nightmare. Oh, yeah. The gas is a nightmare. You've got insurance. They're taking a huge cut. It, the What I figured out was, like, Lyft would do these things where that you would 
make bonuses if you got so many rides. And that was, if you played their games, that was the only way to make actual money. And then I figured out too, it was like, as soon as you hit that bonus, you were done for the day. Cause any, if you tried to make more money or work harder that then they, they'd gamified it. So you wouldn't make any more money after that. <laughs> so you're exactly right. It is like, I felt bad for dude today. I was like, I, I don't know how this economy hasn't collapsed yet. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like in New York, like, like cab drivers are any nobler. Cause mm-hmm. that's just another, that medallion scam is crazy too. Cause those mm-hmm. dudes aren't making any money, but that's a whole New York thing. <laughs> I am excited about the cannabis scene here because when I was here, I guess in September, right before we played Philly, I was telling Mike, it's the first place I've been to that's legalized it, that it's like, it seems to be the smartest, most pure capitalistic way Mm -hmm. that they're not stepping on, you know, everybody's money, the government or all of the boards. It just seems like you can walk in Hell, they didn't even check my ID. A couple of places I went to. Yeah, but they're all they're all uh, gray market shops. You're talking about. See, that's why I. Yeah. That's why we. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we invited you because I was like, because <laughs> I was like telling Mike, I was like, shops. it's yeah. I was like, I was like, some of them feel very legal, and the other ones feel like I like where I used to buy cigarettes when I lived here for seven dollars a pack, where it's like I know what I know the your business plan here, <laughs> and it is to make as much money as you can. Until they shut you down. Well, Correct. I just had to go grab batteries for the Zoom. And while trying to find a place to find batteries, I walked past four dispensaries that are just open, people going in and out. I was like, it's easier to find weed here than it is batteries. That's insane to me. Yeah, but people need weed more than batteries. Okay. <laughs> so. It makes a solid point. It's a solid point for yeah, sure. Yeah, it is. It's just fact. So that is, I was curious, that, I mean, we're going to interview some some other New York people this week too is exactly cause it did have that vibe. Like every now and then I'll see that in LA cause I understand the zoning better in LA cause it's damn near impossible to open a shop in Los Angeles right now cause of zoning. It's like a puzzle. So you'll see a pop-up shop somewhere like next to a school and you're like, well, I know this is, I'm going to go in there and shop because I bet prices are good. <laughs> Well, you know, I, um, in New York, so actually I think it was just in a paper today that they are going to be trying to implement new laws to make it easier to shut down these gray market shops. Um, and what happens every time in legalization schemes as it comes in is once more shops come online, they lobby more for regulations that would shut the shops down that are taking their profits. That's how they feel. That's I was part of the last the jury I was on in California was, was that's what they were trying to do. They were zoning poor people out. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I'll give you an example of, of, um, so zoning departments, right? So if you're a retail store, generally, if you're in a retail commercial zone, there shouldn't be anything extra on top of it. But Mm -hmm. it seems that cannabis, (laughs) the only thing that hasn't killed anybody, harmed anybody in the last million years (laughs) on the planet needs to be the most regulated plant out there and is being utilized to try and fix all of our financial woes. When a lot of the financial woes came because you were trying to uh, criminalize the plant and put all these people in jail for it. Yes. And now all of a sudden, cannabis is going to be the savior of the community and tax money and, and, and things like that. And these dispensaries will come online and still charge double of what you can buy on the street now, plus your tax. Um, 
it's it's not a it's not a system that is going to stay afloat nope. and, and it will fail massively i assure you when the feds take their hands off banking and uh, off of uh, um, borders uh, of being able to uh, go across state interstate borders interstate commerce and once they do do that then jeff bezos comes in yep. and people like him and philip elon morris. musk and Phil, Phil, philip morris already has the patent for the marley marijuana cigarette i mean they own the name <laughs> marley marijuana cigarette Really? Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. It's a them. green pack. Good for them. And it says Marley. It looks like Marlboro, but it looks like it says Marley. And um, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, people know what the future is. I mean, the future, I think it's kind of interesting because it's, it's during Prohibition, right? Mm-hmm. Alcohol was very expensive. Yeah. Yes. Right? But then at one point, even in Prohibition, the, the supply. And dangerous. Correct, to make it. Yeah, well, uh, it was not even to drink it, too. Because correct, you yes. didn't know where it was going. You go blind. From. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, it was expensive and dangerous. But, <laughs> but and the funny thing is about cannabis is, is um, I was talking about somebody, they said in like the 80s, there was like, it's called a paraquat scare. Like they were spraying this stuff called paraquat on the cannabis. So people didn't want to smoke it because of the paraquat, right? Yeah. But there, there's no way you can literally. I mean, I've grown a lot of cannabis, and I've grown some shitty cannabis, mm-hmm. and it doesn't kill you. No, it like, does not. It might give you a terrible cough. It yes. bums um, your day out yeah, a little bit. But it's not going to kill you. So, um, I always, you know, and that's actually probably what brought me into to the cannabis world is the ridiculousness of the laws. You know, because I think I think uh, even as a kid, I would always think, um, well, when I'm an adult, like. Will I see things differently? You know, will I see them? Because um, I noticed a lot of adults are, were, were irresponsible and um, were not logical in, in their thinking. And I'm a kid sitting there thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So now as an adult, as one of the adults in the room, <laughs> I don't mind actually talking about the situation, you know, and, and, and trying to bring it up places, especially amongst other cannabis dispensary owners, right? Um, I don't own one anymore, but I've owned a lot of them. Um, and I find that the industry itself lacks compassion completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is turned into a suit and tie and uh, corporate game, lobbying, uh, beats. Well, um, can I inter- interject? Is like One of the things I tell Mike off, off mic a lot is one of the frustrating things I notice is like the these people the owners and of these companies and stuff complaining about like what's going to happen with big business and all that and then you watch them operate and they do it to each other too oh yeah where you're like y'all you can't you can't do it to each other and then complain when someone bigger comes in well in new jersey i mean you can but and they do but it is like it's like hey you got to stick together these little guys that's how you beat them mm-hmm. cuz if you're trying to that divide and conquer, you're already doing it for them. Yeah, but what happened? I'm, I'm going to explain something. It's, it's this strange uh, com- camaraderie that becomes amongst these people that have these licenses, right? And the camaraderie is, is more of a monopoly, and, and mm-hmm. they're trying to, to, to control the monopoly. But you can't. Not on a plant. No, I want to tell everybody you can't. Be- no. pe- people are growing it, yeah. and they're going to continue to grow it. Um, and you're not going to be able to charge sixty and seventy dollars an eighth in five years. I'm going to assure you that. Nope, that's going to be over. <laughs> um, and so you need to adjust now. The cannabis market needs to adjust now to be able to take on the future of it, 
which should be, in my opinion, is it should be no no more than ten, twenty, thirty dollars for an ounce. I mean, mm. if you can buy a, a pound of tomatoes, of good heirloom, ripe, wonderful tomatoes, for three ninety nine or four ninety nine a pound, yeah, why can't you buy an ounce of good cannabis for thirty bucks? Like it doesn't make any sense. They grow the same way. Mm. You know, it's 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 literally way easier to grow cannabis than it is tomatoes. They I was going to say, it's actually, it's kind of... They're similar. Yeah, well, but, and you get a better product without, like, you can fuck up tomatoes way quicker than you can fuck up cannabis. Absolutely. Yes. Not enough secondary minerals, you'll get uh, the bottom rot on tomatoes. So mm. that there in itself, you won't get a whole tomato. But I think that is true because especially in Oregon with all these licensees, they started all these, you know, like professional groups where they would mm-hmm. lobby the government to try and make the laws right and this and that. But then when the market crashed, then they all became very protective over themselves. And they're like, you know what? We're going to make it hard for people to get licenses. And then now licensing is a whole other commodity where they're just like, we can charge crazy amounts of money for this license. And they it's medallions. that. It's like yeah. they're going to do the medallion thing. Like exactly. It's, and capitalism is always, I think it's fascinating because it's a plant. And they're still trying to do what they've done with it for for decades which is like box it in and i was like i just like you said like it's just now people know how to grow it now the police don't give a shit most of the places you know what i mean so like i do think you're right i think these the with for lack of a better term legacy or whatever marketing these people are using it's like they are instead of thinking long term which is like you build your brand as a grower i think that's what that's the future it's like these hash these underground hash makers are doing doing it right which is they're building their brand not necessarily legally or whatever but it they're building their brand and like anytime i make a drop it's gonna be quality and that's what actual connoisseurs are going to be looking for it's going to turn into wine where where the three of us aren't going to mind paying three or four hundred dollars a pound because we know that guy grows great shit there there's a guy in los angeles that can that's charging not getting a thousand dollars an ounce for his og yeah and he gets it all day long we were just talking so, to some of them. We were just smoking some of them. We were just OG in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were just in San Francisco with a guy that was getting, he's getting 7000 a pound because of the way yeah. he's selling it. So, yeah. I mean, listen, let, let's just be honest. It's it's a good pot sells itself. Yeah. And and the price is dictated upon what the consumer is going to pay, right? And I will tell you that if I could, there was a, a herb that was called church, it was like the ghost OG strain. It was like the biker strain that was out of L.A. The Hell's Angels controlled it. Yeah. And one of my vendors had that herb. Um, he would come in, and first he came in, and it was, it was moist. It was like maybe a, a week off the plant. Damn. And I'm telling you, it's the only fucking shit I could ever see a week off the plant. You could take it, pop it right to bong, and rip it, and it's just fucking fine. <laughs> It's crazy. It was like hash. Was really? That, I'm telling you, it was, was crazy. that resonance. Was that resonance? Yeah. yeah. So you could literally smoke it like a week off the plant. It didn't have to cure it. Didn't have to sit, sit dry for a month. You know. Um, but that one strain 
was hoarded and you couldn't you couldn't get it. He wound up gotten, getting locked up in federal prison, mm-hmm. and I paid twenty thousand dollars for one clone so he could have a lawyer that could help him through his <laughs> oh, thing. That, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, and the fucking clone died. <laughs> 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 so, so, and listen, a lot of people out there. That's, that's like horse racing shit right yeah. there. It's like, yeah. Yo, like, I ain't kidding. We kept this thing in this pot for like two weeks, and I'm like, the motherfucker ain't growing. Like, what is going on here? So, we, we did a couple of things, and it just kind of like, it like just like popped up for a second and just laid down on me. And uh, it was a, that was, actually, I've spent 20 grand on worse things than that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, we've all wasted it. It's, it's, it's a part of the game. Well, where, what are you, how's the document, because we were just in Mendo, we stopped in Willits to see our buddy Hashavelli, and man, we went to a amazing, delicious Mexican restaurant. Mike was like, how do you think is a Mexican restaurant? Oh, in Willits. Be? And yeah. I was like, it's oh. It's bad. That's I told him. Yeah, I was, was like, amazing. oh, I was like, dude, oh, you mean, you mean authentic Mexican food in Mexico? I was like, any small town in California is going to have the best Mexican food yeah, you've ever. has a really good burrito spot, too. It, it like, was this place. It, yeah. it was It was Willits, insane. Willits actually has several really good restaurants. There's a little pizza place there that has other dishes. Very creative. I can't believe I don't remember the name. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I was just up there for, for the movie. I was in San Francisco. Mm. Um, and what I did is I went out there because it was centralized where I could fly in some of the guests that I wanted to, to, to interview along with myself. Um, and I was, I was, I was supposed to interview the sheriff of Menda of Mendocino County. And this is a a crazy story here. So basically what I did is I reached out to the sheriffs and I said, listen, I mean, I could share the emails. Can I, can I preface this before you get going? Like for people listening that don't understand, like they're currently under department of justice. Investigation, yeah. The sheriff's department. The right? sheriff's department, yeah. Not only they, they're under they're under several investigations: FBI, ATF. Um, the <laughs> and when uh, and, and guys, just so you know, when those those alphabet law enforcement <laughs> agencies let you know they're investigating you, that's not good. Yeah. Well, p- part of the reason they're investigating me is one of the people that I interviewed for the film is a guy named Zeke Flatten. Zeke is a ex Texas undercover law enforcement officer who very much like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed yeah. only wore his his uh, law enforcement outfit one day is when he graduated and then they sent him undercover uh, oh, right cool. after that. <laughs> Whoa, that fast. That fast. That's how they, because they, they, you can't mingle. Like they, they need to rip you out quickly. They, you know, they. And I guess they know, they kind of see who has it and who doesn't. I think what they do is they look for people that can fit in in places they don't have people to fit in. For example, he was 20 and a half years old, and he looked like he was 17. Gotcha. So his first um, mission was to go be a high school student. Just look, he looks naive. He and looks, he, yeah, gotcha. He became a high school student again. Like 21 Jump Street shit. Like 21 Jump Street, exactly. <laughs> right. 100%. And, uh, and a teacher actually figured out that he was a cop, <laughs> and that blew that, that, that mission. Um, but he spent... You know, five, six years doing the undercover and then got onto a case. Uh, it was an ecstasy ring. And the ecstasy, ecstasy ring wound up being run by Sammy the Bull Gravano's son. Oh, oh in, fe- in Arizona. Correct. I've, I've yeah. read about this. Correct, yes. yeah. So, so it was Zeke Flatten's investigation that led to the bust of Sammy the Bull Gravano. And the case itself became very big. He, he became 
outed as, as basically an undercover, uh, and, and not the, the way that you would think, but it was just it was r risky to put him back undercover again. Um, so he, he you know, st uh, retired from very early from the force. He's <laughs> like, came I came too close. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. see you guys filmmaker. later. <laughs> and he's been making films. Um, but in 2017, Zeke decided he wanted to go to California. He's always loved cannabis, even though he was a cop. Right. Um, and he was a pot smoker, and he, and he thought of an idea that these packages, like you go to the store and you see the packaging, it's like, you know, a little either a jar or a, a bag or whatever, you can't hardly see it. Like, yeah. um, and he thought that, that, that the, the, the structure of the big colas was so attractive that people would pay more for it. And that if you packaged it, each individual large cola in these, these plastic kind of containers, that, that people would pay for these containers. And say it's an ounce cola, you know, it's $500. Cool. And, and he was right. In yeah, fact, yeah. he was right because they're doing that nowadays. People are selling these colas. We went to the Emerald Cup and they were all over all the place. All over the you place, know? yeah. Well, the, he's John right. had one. The, the look yeah. is... Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like that? They look, they look like tie sticks. Well. Yeah, I yeah, know yeah. so many people I've handed. Like, I got some really great stuff that I go through now. And the guy in Philadelphia, he's a master grower. And I'll hand somebody a nug. And, I don't want to smoke it. <laughs> like, it looks it's so, so pretty. 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 <laughs> yes. you know? And that's how it's supposed to look. Uh -huh. It shouldn't look like a little fucking turd. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, with PGRs out there. I mean, people who, who, who are putting the, the fossil load and stuff in their plants, I mean, they don't care about it. They must not. They must not really enjoy smoking okay. either. We've know, so. always talked about, at least when I'm growing weeds, like I like pretty flowers. I'm well, gonna make the most pretty flower so, possible. So Zeke, Zeke takes three pounds, mm -hmm. gets it from a, a legal uh, grower in um, Mendocino County, is driving south on the 101. I don't know if you know what what Frog Woman Rock is or Squall Rock. That's just a big rock that, that basically is like the entrance into Mendocino County. When you see that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. so that, yeah. that, that squall rock, or they call it frog woman rock now, um, was right, right where he got pulled over. And when he got pulled over, he got pulled over by two cops that didn't have identifying badges on them. And they were in a, <laughs> On the 101. On the 101. Okay. In an in a unmarked vehicle, but it had municipal tags. Yeah. So he, as a ex-law you know, enforcement officer... Um, by the way, his majority of his work was with the ATF and FBI. So he was loaned out from Texas to be an FBI uh, informant or agent, I'm sorry, yeah. or an ATF agent. So he's had plenty of uh, run-ins with ATF agents. He is... Been one. Well, he knows how they operate. <laughs> he knows how they, they. There's like my friend I grew up with since kindergarten is a Secret Service agent. You know what I mean? So like. The way they operate and communicate is specific. Correct. And, yes. and, and, and the way that these guys were operating was odd to him because they claimed to be ATF. Yeah. When they came to the window, they said, we're ATF, run some investigations on the highway. We just need a quick search of the vehicle. They found the pot. They said, all right, be on your way. And in his head, he goes, well, I was just robbed. But he didn't <laughs> say anything to police. He didn't let them know. His they took his weed? They took the three pounds. They took it all. And then they were, be on your way? Be on your that way. That is wrong. Have a good day. Yeah. He, yeah. So the next day, Zeke is, is furious, and um, he calls the Mendocino County Sheriff's and says, listen, I think I was just robbed by the police, you know? And uh, <laughs> can I, But, but I, actually, first, she says, can I speak to an internal affairs officer? Yeah. Lady gets on the phone. He tells her the story. You know, I think I was robbed by the police. Remember, this is a person that's supposed to be an internal affairs officer. Uh -huh. And she, like, puts the phone down for a second. She goes, hey! 
This guy on the phone saying he'd been robbed by the cops on the one-on-one. <laughs> and Zeke is thinking, uh-oh, we got a problem here. Uh-oh. Yes. You know, so Zeke uh, is one of the people in the film, and the reason why he's in my film is because Zeke is the first person since my friend Les Crane, who was murdered in 2005, to sue the police after they were robbed in what they call a Mendocino shakedown. So they call it the Mendocino shakedown because it's the shakedown. You, you give it up and you can go. Be on your merry way, boy. Don't ask any don't questions. Don't ask any more questions. Now, the funny well, thing is... Well, and if you've got a head on your shoulders, be, you don't. Because Zeke, because Zeke basically... But, and I'll, let me tell you the story, actually, because I think it's a pretty amazing story. And it, it, it shows that sometimes you know persistence beats resistance. And so this woman, she says, well, I'll have the undersheriff call you. Never calls, obviously. He calls the FBI. Hi. He said, listen, I need to report a robbery by police. They said, listen, we'll get back to you, you know. He then reaches out to an, a, a reporter. Her name's Kim Kemp. She runs redheadedblackbelt.com, which is out of Mendocino, Humboldt, all Northern California, Trinity area. Emerald Triangle stuff. Yeah. Emerald Triangle, yeah, yeah specifically. And yeah. it's very hyper-local in that area. She gets thousands of hits every time she puts something up. I mean, it's it's... The comment section solves crimes. I bet. I was going to say, well, that, that yeah. whole community is, I, I, I don't think people realize that Camp created that community in a mm. way. Like when they when they came after that community, the federal government, they created. Now, listen, Camp, wasn't ju- camp was the federal government paying the locals. Yes. Yeah, so, the, the, so, the, so and it was called Comet. So Comet was actually the head of Comet, which is a tax force against marijuana, was one of the two people that robbed Zeke. <laughs> His name is Bruce Smith. Okay. Now, Bruce Smith was, was there with Whoa. another cop from Ronert Park. Mm. Now, Ronert Park is, is in Sonoma County, and they're in Mendocino County. What are they doing what? up there? Yes, and he was robbed by a Ronert Park cop along with Bruce Smith, who was the head of Comet, until... Zeke basically reached out to this reporter. The reporter does this story about it. By the way, he didn't know who the cops were at first. He thought he identified the one. It turned out to be somebody different. You know, he's just from looks. That being said, she releases this story saying he was robbed on the 101. He had no clue that Ronert Park was involved. But the Ronert Park PD put out a statement saying that they were the ones that, in fact, stopped him. And he had much more pot than he claims. That wasn't three pounds. They were saying it was like somewhere like 30 pounds. And tried to railroad him. Yeah, make this story up that that it was a, it was a legal stop, but they let him go on his way because you know basically being nice guys. Now, first of all, you never put a press release out about that. You put a press release out about arrests, warrants. You know what I mean? Yes. Not we stop somebody and let him go. You well, know? you don't create. Yeah, you don't. You don't do PR for a narrative. No, no. no. And and turns out, turns out that the Mendocino County Sheriff Tom Allman encourage them to release that press release to take pressure off Mendocino County. So narrative. Yes. Yes. It was December 5th or 7th when Zeke was pulled over and Tom Allman uh, resigned about two weeks later. Once the FBI started calling and the ATF started calling. um, Well, he's not a dummy. (laughs) He was out of there. Yeah. Bruce Smith, they transferred him to Lake County and tried to backdate all of his time cards to show that he was in Lake County uh, working for them at the time the uh, the, the robbery happened. <laughs> and Zeke is... Criminals. Zeke has hired a, a large group of attorneys, which one of the attorneys is a guy named Omar Figueroa, 
who was also the attorney for Les Crane that was suing the Mendocino County Sheriff to um, bring light to the fact that these cops rob people. Yeah. And, and Les was robbed. Les filed suit right away, and the sheriffs didn't know about it until they were served with it. And once they were served with it, they turned around and charged Les with all those crimes. Oh, Jesus. So the Mendocino Whoa. County... Yeah, that's how, that's how it went down. So the DA got involved. The DA was involved. The DA that, that, that actually, after Les's death... The ATF had a warrant to come arrest because he had machine guns that he had stolen from uh, an arrest, and they and you're supposed to turn all your machine guns over to the ATF. Yeah, and uh, and he didn't. even oh they don't like that, and he didn't. So literally, <laughs> that's uh, their whole thing. <laughs> that that sheriff at the time, which was um, Tony Craver, uh, was it Tony Craver? I can't believe it. No, no, Anthony Craver was was the sheriff. I apologize. The DA was Norm Ronan. Norm Ronan was the one that dropped dead in his in his. He dropped dead in his driveway, and the the officers came over. He had a massive pot field next to the the, the house, so they ch- chopped it all down before they got him out of there. Like they let him just lay there for a while because he's already dead, you know. Yeah, so they yeah. couldn't. They don't want to incriminate the guy. You know? Why would you? <laughs> and also, they had to get the weed out of there. You know. So, wow. Yeah. So I mean, the so Zeke. So what happened is Zeke. Once he started opening this case up and going into it, literally became began getting death threats. They came into his house. He lives in Texas, so they came into his house, put like uh, the light is death cockroach on his on his wall. Somebody was following his wife in a car. Um, they came into his, his property and, and locked his dog in, 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 the, in the shed. Like, things were just happening over and over until he said the FBI actually announced it was May of 2019 that they were involved in the investigation, and all of a sudden, all these things just stopped. (laughs) (laughs) So Zeke is... All these coincidences went away. All these weird little... Zeke, Zeke, what's interesting is when I reached reached out to Kim Kemp, Hmm. Zeke also reached out to Kim Kemp when he got, had that situation. I reached out to her because I knew she was hyper-local, and I wanted to get Les' story out there. And when I told her about everything, she said, I need you to meet Zeke Flat." And so for the last year of my life, me and Zeke probably spoke every single day for two hours for eight months in a row, <clears throat> figuring out what happened to Les, figuring out how angles. We went to Florida together to hunt a lead, uh, literally <laughs> stopped this woman at her work, Turns out not to be the lead. Uh, <laughs> it's but, part of doing your work. Yeah, it's, and what it, what it was, what's crazy, is the people that actually did it, who I've identified, I know who killed my friend now, the family that was out of Laytonville. Um, Laytonville? Out of La- right out of Laytonville, yes, absolutely. Um, that that, that they, they sent me on a wild goose chase. They had one of their friends contact me earlier in the investigation, feed me some information that turned out to be bogus. Well... That's yeah. uh, and I pay. I that's what guilty people that is, do. That's, that's an what old intelligence yeah. cr- yeah. trick, right there. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, you listen. I am. Um, I was prepared for it though, because I understand uh, most people stick with the whatever narrative they start with. I never do that. I can never do that. I'm, uh, if I if something c- goes against my narrative and it's a fact, I can't dispute it. I need to change my fucking narrative. That's what? Just, that's I always say this all the time to my children and other people and Mike too is like I love being right so much that I will admit I'm wrong because then I get to be right again at that moment at that second me mm. admit me denying facts does not make uh, me correct 
My, my son's friend, I just set a studio up for my, friend, my son's mm. birthday. I set up a, a music studio. He's a, he's a crazy good rapper. I mean, yeah, I've he never heard like, like mofo. Mm. And so I set him up a music studio. Well, Duff, yesterday. you speak quickly. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> so you have a rhythmic touch. So it's inherited. So it's good. So yesterday, <laughs> I have this music studio set up. It took me two days to do it. I, I actually gave him my man cave. Ah, uh, I now is, have no man cave. That's a good uh, dad right there. Yeah, and uh, so his friends went down there, and his fr- one of his friends broke the monitor. Brand new black, flat screen monitor, you know. So I go down there, and I'm like, all right, what happened? Oh, we don't know what happened. I said, listen, you tell the truth, and it's all over. That feeling of being a loser that you're feeling right now is all over. And <laughs> that's it. You're going to see his face. He's like, Mr. Duff, I was in the chair, and I spun it around, and the thing fell. Cool. It's there yeah, we go. We're done. done. It's done then. Let's fix it. And yes. he starts crying. You know, but it is what it is. Listen, I, I think um, the fear of being in trouble when you're younger is so much stronger than the actual it is. consequences. Yeah. But that, yeah. but that. Let's say you didn't get in trouble. The 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 lesson that you didn't get taught at that point it just turns you into an asshole. I mean, yes. a lot of people they're raising they're they're they're, they're um, all right. If my son, okay, the other day, just an example. We're getting ready for school. I don't yell at my son. My wife was in Thailand for 24 days. We went to school. We didn't get one tardy in 24 days. Hell yeah. A couple days he didn't brush the teeth. Mm-hmm. Hey, that happens. happens. Yes. Some and days you don't get once. breakfast. Yes, exactly. I didn't yell once in the morning. Okay. When she got home, it is like a war zone in the morning. Okay. <laughs> And she speaks Thai to him. And so I don't even know what the hell they're saying. <laughs> and it's aggressive. Oh, it's ve- she's Tiger Mom. Yes, it is aggressive. Yes. So, and I'm thinking and at like 740 or 740, and she's just going, baba, baba, baba. And I'm like, hey, just stop it. We'll get there on time. And then me and her get into it. Right? And, and I asked him, like we're driving to school that day, and I said, can I ask you, the, the 10 minutes that you seem to think are so important, that, that, that you think you don't have to be, and mommy thinks you have to be, are making it so I'm getting into a fight with her because I'm trying to protect you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is... Yeah. I, I can tell you right now to make you feel better, this is not specific to your home. <laughs> no, no. So I said to him, I said, listen, you get straight A's. You have your own YouTube channel. You're creating a business at 13. But if you can't figure out that those 10 minutes make the rest of my day hell because your mother's on me the whole day because I tried to protect you, then you're a fucking idiot. Yes. That's it. You're a fucking idiot. Straight A's, no matter what, you're a fucking idiot. All right? Thank you for getting me in. The next morning, he was fucking 10 minutes early. (laughs) You know? It's coachable. It is coachable. (laughs) It is. Teenage boys are different than teenage girls, and the way I can communicate with my son is, it is like pulling him aside, and you're like, hey, you like, you don't like all that drama and shit, right? And he's like, no. And I'm like, then just get up five minutes earlier, man. That is all. And he, you see it, and you're like, mm. he's like, oh, oh. I'm like, yeah, man. It is that simple. And I was trying to explain to him recently about anxiety, because you know they. What's funny about teenagers or any humans really is they start figuring out like, well, these are excuses kind of thing and this is why and i was like no 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 there is good anxiety and then there's unhealthy anxiety mm-hmm. like i was like that feeling that you're anxious because you know you have to do something you said you've done you would do that's that anxiety is good because you need to get that thing done 
Now, if it's just anxious about like what could happen, anything, I was like, that's bad anxiety. But what you're bitching about is not actual anxiety. That's commitment and you following through. Mm. And you just see the head, to, you know, the wheels uh, turn. He's like, oh, I was like, so that that's actual. There's like a good part of anxiety. I was like, that's evolutions in there to make us finish our jobs and do that. And then you can relax. And he's like, oh, so it's similar to embarrassment. Yes. Right? Shame. The, yeah. The, 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 the shame that that feeling makes it so society is better. Like that's all. Nobody's to picking it. noses yeah, just wildly I mean, out in the world. It can, Why do you think you pick your nose in your car so much? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look to the left or right. You're seeing <gasps> digging <gasps> left and right, you know, yes. because people are alone. All of a sudden they can get in there. Um, well, that's Sorry. why people are racist in traffic in their car. Right. It's because it's not because they're racist. It's because they don't know you specifically to say this motherfucker right here and you get personal. You're just more like you're just mad at them because they cut you off. And then you're like, well, I know you're this. So this. And it's like to me, it's like it's the funniest. People are like, hey, you get, people get racist. And I'm like, no, they just don't know anything about the person individually. So they're just they're just screaming that. They're just using prejudice. Now, I'm not saying some of them are racist. Extremely. I'm just saying. Yeah, if you just scream in the N word at yes. people as you're driving, you're <laughs> yes. probably a racist. That is racist. You're probably a racist. Yes. <laughs> but if someone cut you off and then you say, say like, and that if you have, me. if you have like a different term for each, you know, nationality that cuts you off, you're definitely a racist. Yes, for sure. Yes. <laughs> but but yes. you also, if you're if you're not white and you say a white motherfucker. You're also a racist, so it's okay though. It's okay to be racist because I think you, that's part of our country. I think I hate to say it. <laughs> and white people suck. White people. Oof. No, I'm going to dispute. You know I'm going to dispute that. On, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can't I wait white. to tell. I, know, I can't wait to tell you a setup. story after. It's just a fun the setup to say stuff like that about your truck growing up. <laughs> about what my truck? It's a white thing. <laughs> I used to have a low rider. We're going to have to edit some of this. We're going to have to edit. Okay. It's okay. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me get back to, though, yeah. because yeah. I think, I think <laughs> really the story. This is why we love you. The story about Zeke. Um, the reason why I put Zeke in the film was because I thought Zeke would be able to tell the story of what happens to a person who does fight against the sheriff. This is a person from Texas, a law enforcement officer, who's literally had threats against his life. Yeah. So let's say let Zeke wound up getting killed in Mendocino County somewhere. I don't think the Mendocino, Mendocino County Sheriff would look very hard, mm -mm. which is similar with Hat with Less. So that's why I included Zeke in this film, since Zeke is the first person that I can find that sued the cop for the Mendocino shakedown since Less did, and Less wound up dead. So what happened is I reached out to, and, and by the way, another person I had in the film is ex-Mendocino County Sheriff Trent James. I don't know if I told you that the last time, but Trent James is an ex-sheriff that basically ran against uh, the last sheriff, got him, Matt, or the current sheriff, Matt Kendall, um, he began his election, his writing campaign, about a week prior to the election and got 20% of the votes. Whoa. And he started a channel called Confessions of an Ex-Cop and started telling stories. I've Ooh. seen this. Yes, the dude he's like ripped. Head, ripped, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, he was in Willits. He was lot. in Willits, correct. Yes, he yes. was out of Willits, and he was also a Mendocino County sheriff, so he worked in both departments. And uh, so I had Trent James on the on, uh, last time I interviewed him. When me and Trent were at dinner in Ukiah, we were sitting at dinner, and this guy comes walking by who 
is a former sheriff and now works at the prosecutor's office as a detective. And as he's coming walking up, I said, Trent, I think that guy doesn't like you. Because I could see him mouthing curses as he saw Trent. And Trent says, yeah, he's a piece of shit. I said, he just said the same thing about you. <laughs> so, so we're sitting there eating, and the guy pulls up in front of the restaurant, opens a sunroof, and just sticks his middle finger out the, the window or out the, the ceiling for like two minutes. Like, and I'm like, oh, this is comfortable. This is really good. That is aggressive. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this energy a, in the wilderness. Personal car? Personal car, yeah. Okay. With his family in the car, by the way. And he's a, and I mean, I hate to say, I mean, he's just not in very good shape. I would guess that that Trent, who looks like an Adonis yeah. and, and, can, and takes martial arts and all that, it probably wouldn't be a very good fight. And Trent sent him a text message because he has his phone number saying, why don't you come back and meet me out in front of the restaurant? I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to the house now. <laughs> you know? So <clears throat> not only do I have Trent James in a film, who the sheriffs hate, I have Zeke Flatt in a film who's taking the sheriffs down. So what happened is I contacted the sheriff because I said to him, I wrote him a full long email saying, listen, we're about to go into editing. And I can't find anything nice to say about your commitment to this investigation. It's been lax at best, a failure, a failure. I'm trying. Yeah. And you guys are I'm giving you the people on a platter. Here's the witness that to the, the murder who's identified somebody. It's been a year after I've given you the information. You've still yet to interview him again. And it's like also you want to say, too, like I don't know if you're aware of current culture and society, but once these documentaries drop. Oh, that's exactly what I was saying to him. They like, know. Like you guys so, are not going to look good on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it's exactly what I said. I mean, I, I said, listen, there's no way I can make you look good. Just not, unless you guys do something. Help me out. Yeah. Boom! I get I get a, I get a response. He says, "Listen, we're we're the detective that or the sergeant that's on the case is on vacation. When he gets back, uh, you know, we're going to take it up." So they brought in the eyewitness to the or they interviewed the eyewitness to the murder, a guy named, named Sean, who's in the movie, and they brought in one of the suspects to question, um, a kid named Cody Sanderson who I actually confronted at his house with Trent James. We knocked on his door and said, hey, come on out, we want to talk to you. <laughs> People love that. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good for the movie. Um, I mean, it is great for me. But it, it is. is. It, and it was scary, too. Yeah, I, I mean, was going to say, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, he could shoot through the door. You don't know, you Some know. Tension, so yeah. Um, but they, 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 the sheriffs didn't really give me much information about the interview, just said he was cooperative and he gave his DNA, only to find out that there was no other DNA found at the scene except for my friends. So... Why, Why would take you? his DNA? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And they acted like he came in voluntarily to be questioned, but in fact, he's on felony fucking probation. So he, <laughs> the, you, you do not have to do anything to question him. You bring him in any time you want to yeah. on felony probation. So the fact that they acted like it was voluntary and, and they couldn't just go pick him up, really, it kind of got, got my goose. So I said, listen, I'd really, really like you in this film. They're not used to... People Smart that, people. Well, the people that understand procedure and what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, and wait, they're not used to be questioning. This, wait till you yeah. hear this. I'm telling you, you guys are both going to be fucking shocked. I am still shocked, and I think it changed everything about the way I was going to direct the movie. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Sheriff Matt Kendall says he's not going to interview with me. I'm sorry. He didn't say that. He said he might interview me at first, and I got, got on the phone with him. I started talking to him. And uh, he's like, listen, you know. Um, it's, there's a lot of moving parts, blah, 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 whatever it is. And I'm, I'm like, well, um, 
I do have to tell you that, that I, I did involve an officer in the movie because I needed to get somebody that can explain the culture of Mendocino County between the cops and the growers. And that's an important part of this film. It is. He says, well, who did you get? I said, I got Trent James. <laughs> and he says, well, you know, that's going to hinder the investigation, into the, uh, the murder investigation of your friend. I said, excuse me? I said, how will your political Yeah, opponent- that's when I was like, go on. Tell me the how that yeah. would, yeah. Well, that's on. not really what I said. I said, no, you just did say that, sir. All right? So me and him go back and forth. I then reach out to Sheriff Tony Craver, who was the sheriff when my friend was killed, yeah. who re- resigned. When the FBI got involved. No. This is that, that, that's, that's in 2019. This is 2005. Okay. Craver resigned about a month after Les was killed. Craver, I got to talk to him. I don't think he was involved. I don't think he knows. He said he went out on a medical leave at the end of uh, at the end of uh, middle of October, and when he resigned in December, he had not handled any of the investigation. And when I called him, it was, he was a very interesting guy. I'm like, yeah, my name's Patrick Duff. I'm a filmmaker. I'm trying to do a film. Uh, you're you're a movie maker. You want me in the movie? I said, yeah, actually, I do. I want you in the movie. He goes, well, let me get my hair done, and I'm going to meet you outside. And I told him what it was about. I that's a politician right there. Oh, Let me fix my hair. And I'll, I'll get on it. Yeah, that's a politician. Yes. 100%. So I said, Never met Craver, a camera I didn't like. This is about Les Crane murder. He said, listen, I, I'd love to talk to you, but I can't offer anything because I was really not there at that time. But you, you need to reach out to Kevin Bruyne, who was the head of it, or Tom Allman. So Tom Allman, who was the ex-sheriff, um, was the one that resigned a week after Zeke or the FBI got involved, I call him. He's, a, he's now a realtor in Mendocino County. Huh. So he was pretty easy to get a hold of because he's a realtor. Yeah. So I call him and say, listen, who's I, here's who I am. He says, listen, I'd love to be in your film. You want somebody to talk about the culture? I'm your guy. I'm like, great. I'm like, well, but Sheriff Kendall doesn't want to be in the film. He says, well, I don't see why that would be. I'll talk to him. I'll, th- I'll get him to be involved. I said, oh, great, great. So why did he say you didn't want to be involved? I said, oh, well, he said that because I have Trent James involved in the film, that that would hinder the murder investigation. He's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's right. Now, I got him on fucking tape saying this. Why would it hinder the investigation? It wouldn't. It just hinders their, their ego, their, 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 their image. Um, and he then says to me, uh, how would I do this? If you take Trent James out of your film and don't have him anywhere in the film, remove him from it, I will give you my interview. I will get the sheriff to interview with you, try to get him to, but I'll also get you a detective that was on the case. Thinking, Why all the... I don't know. Now, that being said, at that point, I'm like, well, if I get those three... I would agree to drop Trent from the film because sometimes you're in a movie and you get interviewed and you don't get it anyway. Yeah. Because you get cut from the actual 100%. footage, right? It doesn't. Yeah. So, doesn't, yeah. so even if, even if I agree to this, I could then cut them from the footage if I had to and keep Trent if they didn't give me shit. So I agreed to it. I agreed to it. I didn't tell Trent right away. He's a scary looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big dude. Yeah. He's a good guy though. Man, yeah. we, we become very good friends. Which is, I mean, tell you, I've never had so many friends that are cops. And uh, it is now. very interesting. For it you. is. It is for me, especially. So, so Tom Allman says to me, you know, he'll he'll do the interview. I then schedule 
a date to come out to Mendocino County, which was last month I was coming out. And um, he called me two days later. He said, I got to talk to you before we do this. I said, okay, what's going on then? He said, I have to make you aware that if you portray the Mendocino County Sheriff in any bad light at all, it's not going to go well for your investigation. And I said, well... That's threatening. Yeah, I said, Mr. Allman, first of all, how can I do that when the premise of the movie is that he was basically raided and robbed by the police, filed a lawsuit, and had friction with you guys the entire time? How could I go about honestly telling what happened in this film or in his life and make this film. He said, well, you're going to have to figure that out. <laughs> oh, I'm sitting there thinking, well. So I let him know then that uh, not only was Trent James in the film, but so was Zeke Flatten. <laughs> and that completely, he didn't want anything to do with me anymore at that point. Which is telling. Which is very telling, yeah. Um, now, that being said, I interviewed Zeke. I interviewed New Jersey Weed Man, guy from New Jersey who's a big activist and uh, who I brought out to California to this minister's convention that Les paid for. Les paid for everybody to come out from New Jersey, Hawaii, Florida, I mean, Texas, all over the country. All these people came out. We had this minister's conference. So Weed Man was one of the people I interviewed. And he was very honest. He said, listen, without that weekend, that weekend changed his life he got to see these plants got to see mm -hmm. the dispensary yeah. it changed his life it made him think well this this can happen um and i got to interview um that was my other interview myself mm -hmm. um, and i can't believe i forget the third well oh, funny story real quick though this is about san francisco so weed man weed man's <laughs> girlfriend got a a airbnb and it was in the tenderloin oh man <laughs> and uh <laughs> And uh, it was like 2.30 in the morning, and they're sleeping in their bed, and they're on the third floor of the building, and a man starts coming in the window. Yep. <laughs> None mm -hmm. of that is hard yep. to believe in. Yep, that, that makes sense. That, 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 all, that all tracks. So, yes. Third floor coming yeah. in the window, that for is, sure. Yeah. So nice. basically, uh, you know, he, had to, he almost threw the guy on the street. and the guy I bet the Airbnb was affordable. Was very affordable. <laughs> that's it was correct. Very affordable. I, I, you know, I often say if an Airbnb is too affordable, there's a reason. There why. is a reason, yeah. yes. It could be crackhead somewhere close <laughs> yeah. to building. You know, and what I noticed, though, um, with Almond, Bo, when, when, when he was saying this to me, was that I, I don't think it mattered what I said or did or anything that he wanted to control this whole narrative of what's going to happen in my fucking film. Yeah. Well, so, he's used to controlling people. Yep. Yeah. Just people. Yeah. And it, it, it hit me. I said, well, if I don't do what this man says, then they're never going to solve this murder. Like literally they're not going to do it on no. purpose. Right? That's what they're saying. Yeah. yeah yes. Correct. That's what they're saying. Yeah. And that, that is a very difficult thing to think about. It's a tough thing to weigh, right? That's what I'm trying to do is solve the murder. But but I've technically solved the murder. I yeah. know who did it. I've got... It's like Tupac. Can... They know who did that correct. shit. Correct. Yes. Correct. All right. Now, so I... I uh, you know the what would Jesus do moments? Yep. I did a what would Les do moment. Mm -hmm. That's nice. And I said, Les, 
you know, I want to serve, solve your fucking murder. I want these guys to be arrested. But the sheriff is fucking telling me to cut the story. And his fucking voice came right in my head. Tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> so I, I said, listen, Mr. Allman, I can't agree to your demands. And uh, he said, then I can't interview. I said, all right, you have a nice fucking life. Do they not realize, too, like, when that happens, that goes into the story? He does realize that. That they said that. Hey, see, you got, oh, in California, it's a one-party, two-party state. New Jersey is a one-party state, meaning I can record a conversation in New Jersey, but in California, you can't. No, I knew that. Right? Yeah. So, in his mind, he's probably thinking, he doesn't know where the fuck I am, but that I can't use what I, I'm talking, but I'm going to use it. Because you're in New Jersey. Well, even Jersey. if you didn't use what he said, I could, what I could do could is quote I could, him. Correct. Not only quote him, I could have somebody like an actor yes. act like Read him. the voiceover. That would be yes. funny, actually, if I interviewed somebody, I made him dress up like Tom Allman and have him read that back to me, you know. But <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, uh, Louis Thoreau's Scientology movie? No. You should, you would, you'll get a kid. You should watch that tonight because mm. he... He hires an actor to read David Miscavige's stuff. Mm. As say, it is one of my. I'm sorry, I just lost both of their attention. You guys, there's a le- that th- there was a touchdown just scored or something miraculous happened. Something in the Eagles game happened, and and the bar that we're recording next to <laughs> is an Eagles bar, and they're going nuts. Uh, let's. So, I mean, we could talk to you for another two hours, and we may do that. Um, but for this episode, how how do you want to, like, where are you at with the film right now? So we just hired an editor. Our editor uh, is basically just breaking apart the the, um, the interviews. Uh-huh. Um, I'm picking, I'm doing the quotes right now. I'm picking 20 quotes from the actual filming, and then we'll use them to make a, a sizzle reel, you know, a, right. a, a, yeah. a little five-minute teaser. Um Seth Ferranti, who's the director on the film, uh, he he basically. Oh, by the way, I know him. I met. He was he was doing some Humboldt stories. Correct. He, yes. He's doing he's doing a film called uh, Tangled Roots. Yes. About Humboldt. We met him with that's Caselli. Our, that's our friend. Yeah, so yeah. 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 So so and the other person I interviewed, by the way, <clears throat> which is so interesting because what happened was the last time I was out interviewing Trent, I. Um, I was going up to the 101, what's called the uh, Area 101, a guy named Tim Blake who runs all the Emerald Cups. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim, oh, Blake, yeah. Tim Blake owns that, and I was going to interview Tim Blake. Um, I was supposed to interview Mac that day, Mac Briggs, who was Les's old partner. Um, but Mac called me, and he was like, listen, man, i got to be honest with you. He's like, I don't know about this. You know, like, you know, i got a brand to protect, and, like, you know, i got – Employees in, in Missouri and California, and I don't know what this is going to come. And the taxes up, you know? are coming after us. They're coming after us. Mm-hmm. Left yeah, and right. I mean, he's, yeah. So, he's right. So, so he stepped back, you know. And um, and so when I went up to 101, I was only supposed to interview Tim Blake that day. I was going to interview Mac there too. And so, I mean, I'm spending thousands of dollars on a film crew. We're we're out there, and um, and there was a woman named Pebbles Tribbett, who I've been trying to get a hold of for three months. Pebbles is like a big time activist and. Um, journalist in the area of Medicino. Uh, she ran uh, KQ or whatever that is. It's like a radio station, and, uh, um, and she was a writer, and she was also at the Cannabis Minister's Conference. So I really wanted to interview her because she was there interviewing Les the day he was at court handing out all this pot, 
And I know she was telling him, yo, you need to calm the fuck down. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, you are, you're bringing too much attention to yeah. yourself. Like, so I really wanted that interview, but I couldn't find her. Um, so I'm supposed to meet Mac there. Uh, Tim is already at Area 101. We show up. I'm not kidding you. About five minutes after we show up, we're getting flown. We had a helicopter that left Ukiah around the same time we left Ukiah. Whoa. I went to the flight tracker, radar, yeah. And he came close. Like, he was probably 40 feet above the tree line. Is it county? It was a, tr- a private chopper that, from, a, from a, corpor- a defunct corporation that's no longer in business. Yeah, so it was a Fed. It was a Fed. That's a, yeah, I was going to say that. 100%. Yeah, we already, I already listened. They, they're a fan. What can I say? Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's good. yeah. I've been fucking. He's, he's dealt with them yeah. for a yeah, long time. I was going to say. First yeah, name a, basis. When you know? say it's a now defunct company, I, I just read enough, like, yeah, intelligent stuff and stuff. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah, no. They start. What they do is they start LLCs and they do air air, air companies and they rent them. They and they'll do, they'll they'll have it for a year and they never renew the LLC, so it becomes defunct. But they still got the helicopter. They Nothing ever them. happened in Mena, Arkansas, so, like that. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> a little cocaine shift. Nothing. <laughs> but but um, but so, yeah. So we're editing right now. Uh, by March of 2024, we'll have a finished product. That's the that's the the hope. And um, um, and Mac, what happened was he didn't show up at the last one. When I showed up at the 101, Area 101, to interview Tim, not only was a helicopter there to meet me, but so was Pebbles. Aww. Pebbles had become homeless a month before. Ugh. She had a situation where her house became really deteriorated and, and couldn't live in it. And uh, so Tim Blake, who was the, uh, owns basically the Area 101, the Emerald Cup, all that, brought her in she's living at the area 101 where i was going to do these interviews so i got her interview i got tim blake um and then this time when i came back uh me and mac were talking after and he was like i really don't think it was right of me to cancel that like i wouldn't be where i'm at without less like no so he came and did his interview and he was was just probably the most amazing fucking interview because so the way Les worked was very compartmentalized. Like he would have a group of growers here. He'd have the trimmers here. He'd have the guy running a dispensary here, and they wouldn't know each other. Yeah. He would make sure they didn't know each other. Like, it was like... A professional? It's like how they built... It's the Manhattan Project. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so he was very good at that. So I knew who Mac was. I always knew Mac. Yeah. Right? He always knew Pat. Yeah. But we never met each other. Never met each other. So when I started this investigation a year ago, I, the, the eyewitness to the murder, Sean Durlam, I asked him, you know, how do I get a hold of Mac? Um, all I uh, care about right now, if they keep cheering like that, that means we're winning. I was going to say, That's you guys, it's happens. good. It's, so. They're not mad, so you guys are good. <laughs> so I got a yeah. hold of Mac. Or I'm sorry, I couldn't get a hold of Mac. I couldn't find him anywhere. I didn't know what his name was. I just, had, I just knew Mac. Yeah. So this kid, Sean, who's the witness to the murder, Says, listen, I don't know how to get a hold of him either, but I do. Here's a, a newspaper article that about the killing where his and name. Can I just for people listening? Yeah, it is. If you've never been to the Emerald Triangle, when people go, I don't know how to get a hold of him. Um, that's real. Like that's like a. You guys, it's not like normal communities and things. Like people don't want to well, get a hold of. Well, th- this is a situation where he could get a hold of him. He literally gave me a fake name of a guy named Mac Briggs in a newspaper that was Matthew Bridges. And he said his name might be Matthew Bridges. I think he was busted on an LSD charge. Maybe you could find him that way. 
Turns out that Sean was in full communications with Mac the entire time. Knew very easily how to get a hold of him. Uh-huh. And so yeah, yeah. when I finally found Mac and I asked him, I said, you know, do you think there's any reason that Sean wouldn't want to get you in contact with me when I'm doing this film about the murder of Les Crane? And at first he's like, I, I don't know why Sean wouldn't do it. He's like, well, I know why. Because I didn't believe him. He, didn't, he, he said he got hit with a bat. He had a little cut on his head, a little slice. There was no bruising. There was no swelling. He's like, that was not a cut from a bat. So he went into this whole thing and just broke it down, man, and, uh, and told the story about how he was living in a tent, living in a tent when he met Les and was brought into Les's world and that Les had these like crazy like tweakers, like train hopping tweakers working for him. Like it was not a good scene. Like yeah. it was very ornery. Like, yeah. And that maybe two months into it, like he was working really hard. He was killing it, like making sure he was always like always stepping up. Like Les had pigs, like Les liked to slaughter a pig, like for celebration, like and uh-huh. cook the pig on a you know, spit. Yeah, so so but taking care of pigs ain't an easy job. <laughs> no. <laughs> so and they're Mac, smarter than people think too. Yeah, Max stepped up and started taking care of the pigs. And that Les noticed the pigs, you know what I mean? So one day, about two months into Max working there, Max said there was a problem with the a whole a whole warehouse, a greenhouse, sorry, went moldy on drying, meaning somebody left it and didn't have air going. Didn't mm-hmm. they probably closed the doors and just left it? You know what I mean? Yeah. You need you need airflow. Yeah. You have no airflow, and it's and especially if it's hot, if it gets hot, it'll it'll mold. Yeah. So he molded a whole greenhouse, and Les fired him in front of everybody. You're fucking fired. That's it. And he turns around. There's like 20 workers standing there. Crazy people. Fucking some of them very uh, competent. Some of them not so competent. Sure. And Les turns around and says, all right, which one of you wants to be the manager? And Mac looked around. Nobody's raising their hands. And Mac raised his hand. He says, I can do the job. <laughs> he says, you're hired. <laughs> Brought Mac on, and uh, and that is not a bad way to do it's that. It's not a bad way because it's, it's like who wants to do this shitty yeah. fucking job, and one person's like, "I'll you do it." Step up. That's what you. That's who you want. Yeah. Well, and it gets everybody else in line because they're like, "Oh, I had my chance. He, I didn't 20, raise my yeah, hand." Yeah, he's so, twenty-four, yeah. twenty-five at a time. Mac, yeah. you know, <laughs> Les is in his mid-thirties, and most of these guys are older than him. So it was like, you know, they oh shit, here's this guy, uh, and then he he started bringing people in from other areas, from Oregon. That weren't these tweaker types and got a better element in there. And what was sad is that towards the end of when up leading up to Les's death, Mac was very clear with him, you're, you're hanging out with the wrong fucking people, man. Like, this ain't right. Like, this fucking chick you're hanging out with, she's dirty. Like, she's dangerous. Like, this is, yeah. this is not good. Toxic. Toxic. Yeah, and he actually said, he's like, uh, <clears throat> he said that Les, you know, at the end, he, he he really was doing good for people, but he was just with the wrong people. Yeah, that, I mean, we've all been there. That's. I was listening to a podcast today about war stories on the plane, and they talked about that guy Chris Kyle, the Navy SEAL mm-hmm. sniper. That's what happened to him. I mean, he was helping veterans, and they were in weird spots, and he would go shoot with them and stuff, and mm. they, he was trying to help their mental health, and one of them turned on him. Mm. It's that same, it's like. You see, what it is, 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 and I'll tell you, and I, so when I went to Los Angeles, and I remember the day when I got the call, and he was dead, and I was in a hotel, and I had a 
dispensary I was opening, and I was very lack lackluster. As I think, I was like thinking like just open and I'll be okay. And I'm like thinking like, well, I'm in Los Angeles, like I'm in a city of 12 million people, and I'm I don't know one fucking person here. Like yeah. literally, I knew ten, I had two or three people actually at that time, and I don't have a lot of money, but I don't want to be killed. Yep. And uh, so I immediately reached out to this guy, Steve, who ran a security company, I remember, and I got a security guard. His name was Manny. He became one of my best friends in life. And if you guys are listening and you're like, well, that seems like a weird thing to worry about doing business. And I don't know if you guys know this about Los Angeles, but uh, Ice-T doesn't wear his chain when he's in Los Angeles. Mm. So... That's the kind of motherfuckers you were dealing with. Yeah, I mean, you 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 don't even know. I mean, pe- people, you know, I got locked up in, in L.A. County Jail, <sighs> and um, hard pass. Yeah, and and I ran into <laughs> literally, I'm not kidding. I ran into a whole. They put me in a uh, like a twelve bunk cell. I don't know why they put me in there with tables and stuff, and in walks a whole gang. Yep. And he's still, I'm like, and I'm alone. You know, so I'm like, well. What do I do at this point? You know, the guy literally had real long hair too. Fuck, I was looking good, you know. And uh, <laughs> full Cali mode. And I'm listen. I don't have any problem if you're gay, but I'm not gay. Yep. So he says, "Hey, hey, buddy, why don't you come? No, no, hey, pretty boy, nice hair. Why don't you come sit next to me?" And he had a big cross on his chest, though, like uh, you know. And I said, "Are you uh, a believer? What? Do you believe in Jesus Christ?" Yeah. Why? I said, well, because I'm a reverend. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, man. I said, I bet you're going to be shocked what I say next. He said, what's that? I said, I'm a reverend of marijuana. <laughs> I run churches in Los Angeles. And he said, what the fuck? So for the next two hours, instead of getting my ass kicked, I trained these cholos how to open their own dispensaries. <laughs> I swear to God. I helped them get off on in the, my jury duty. Yeah. That's who I was helping get off. It was like four people. Yes, so, that's that's awesome. So, and actually, a couple months after, what we we used to do in Los Angeles when you were raided in Los Angeles, like in 05, 06, 07, it was it was pretty common practice. Like there was it was happening every couple of weeks, and the feds were it's the same team of feds, the same team would come in. So what we learned is that if we sent people to protest these raids, that they would leave. They would leave quickly. Like, they, they didn't want to be seen. Well, because they don't want to know who they're, yeah, their Correct. ID, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they started wearing masks and stuff, right? <laughs> so this place on Van Nuys Boulevard, was called <laughs> Hey, THC. if we're playing games, I'm going to play a game back. Yeah, yeah I man. Yes, Listen, I understand. Was well before COVID, I'll say. But um, <laughs> they, um, so my, my, my friends were raided. They owned THC. And I get a call from this girl, DeJay. DeJay was like the patient advocacy girl. And she would always say it. Raid, it was like a raid kind of, uh, raid alert. THC. Yeah. So I show up to THC. This is about two months after I got out of jail there. And I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm like, uh, you know, uh, fuck the DEA, fuck the <laughs> DEA, you know, DEA, go away. We have all these chants. We're doing all these things, right? And up pulls this car. <laughs> and out comes cholos with teardrops on their face with DEA, fuck the DEA signs and DEA go away signs. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> my friends are here. My friends are here. My new friends. We're doing friend stuff. So, so and it's funny because it wasn't just them. It was a, lar- a lot of people early on that were in the criminal element 
obviously saw that as an opportunity and became involved in the dispensary business. And it became a, it was a very rough business at first. It really was. Well, landlords were fucking people over. Every, everyone was, yeah, it was. You I'm were first, robbed at gunpoint right one time? I got to pee Robbed at gunpoint, yeah. I was, <laughs> we're going to wrap this one up because, A, oh, yeah, we're yeah. almost out of time. And then, yeah, we're doing great. Let's just finish it up then real yeah. quick. Um. So, 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 yeah, I was robbed at gunpoint. I was robbed by the DEA. Uh, as to your point, as people who think, uh, you know, uh, the, the industries, you know, um, I'm just kind of like hyping up the danger. In a five-year period, I had three friends killed and or gone missing. Yes. So direct, close friends of mine, you know. Because so. they don't understand, too, that it's not just the criminal element that's coming after people. It is, there is big business coming. Like, that was part of the, the court case that i was in the jury pool for was like the judge kept saying this is not cannabis related this is zoning and i was like yeah but it's zoning because the people on the county commission are tied in with the people that own the big can and the judge was like all right that's enough that's enough that's enough like shut me up and then i started talking about citizens united but that's the part of la that they don't fully understand when they think it's this criminal element but there's so much more. It's not just the, the criminals are kind of working together. It's the city that is that is like that's where the true criminality I think comes in because I, they're fucking with people's lives. The, the the reason I left the cannabis trade in Los Angeles was in 2000. Number one was because I had a son, I had a baby, and, and I knew that I wouldn't be there for him. And if and if and if I wasn't there for him, I'd probably never see him again. His mom would go back to Thailand. I wouldn't even speak Thai, and I couldn't find my son, you know? So I got out of the business. But another reason I got out of the business was because of the way that the uh, politicians in Los Angeles started to uh, extort people. Yes. And I had lobbyists come to me, come to my place, and say, if you want to stay in business, you'll figure out how to give us 10% of your profit. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, first of all, like, do you even know how I, I – this is a church. I operate as a church. I would give free medicine to a lot of people, tons of people, pay people's mortgages, dude. I'm not kidding. I didn't even have a car. Yeah. I wore flip-flops. You know yeah. what I mean? I didn't buy anything fancy. They could never get me on that. Um, so, yeah, so – so, and with that, without Les, without my good friend Les, I would have never done any of that. New Jersey Weed Man wouldn't open his shops. Mac wouldn't have his brand. So I'm paying my brother back, man. This, this movie is going to pay him back. Uh, and and it changed titles. Uh, It'll change titles before it even comes out again. Maybe not. Um, just, it's uh, always something. Yeah, just trust me. It's, it's always makes, something. Like it's stories. Always something. It's it's yeah. You know, actually, I title all my articles last when I write articles. You have to. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't know what they are. You yeah. yourself were just talking about that. Yeah. Well, you have to let the truth present itself. Like these motherfuckers now, they're like, I want it to be this, and you're like, Well, what if it's not? Yeah, and, and if you write your, your title first, then you, you're, you're narrating, like, almost what you think should be. Confirmation. Right. Yeah. So, yes. and then once you start writing, you're like, when you read your own writing, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate you guys having me. And, we uh, appreciate we, you coming. We're who so killed less com is, is the uh, website for the go. movie. Uh, you can get a hold of me if you ever want at uh, rabblerouserblog at gmail.com. Be oh. careful because if you cross him, he's one of the worst people. Yeah, New, yeah. New Jersey. JerseyRabbleRouser.com. Um, well, I want to go to Mendo with you. Could we go? Oh, I would love to, man. Okay. Let's yeah. set, because we have, our buddy said that he can set us up with some growers, and then you'll know some growers, because uh, we just haven't had the 
the Sherpa we needed in Mendo because uh-huh. of we've because of you and then some hearing some other stories we were weary to go into that county because like you said you don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> well, Spy Rock Road sometimes is only a one way road. I that's a great that's way. A hell to of a end sentence. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you stuff. so much.